0: It is insane. It is actually one of the most insane uh, pieces of technology. Uh, I think technology. it's art. It's art. It is
1: art. All right, Amal, do you want to do the intro?
2: No, I'm not very good at it. Go for it.
1: Well, I'm not very good at it. Um, <laughs> all right. Hi, everyone. It's uh, Bitcoin Brendo here. I've got uh, stacking hats. Uh, again, we are two-bit idiots. Uh Tonight, we are lucky enough to have Katan from Ministry of Nodes joining us. Hi, Katan. G'day. How are you, mate? Uh, awesome. Stoked that you're here. <laughs> sure you're on yeah, me. yeah. Did you, before we sort of get into what this pod's about, do you want to sort of give us a quick little background about, uh, I guess, what you do in the Bitcoin space?
0: Yeah. Um, so basically, I run this uh educational piece called the Ministry of Notes. Uh, we do one-on-one consulting sessions. We do um, YouTube video guides and write up articles and those sorts of things. And I, I, I built it up with um, uh, one of my mates. His name is Stefan Lavera. Uh, he's a prominent podcaster in the space. Um, so he and I, we'll just decided, you know what, we, we want to start educating more people about it. So uh, that's, this is our best effort of doing that
1: yeah excellent so uh, on Stefan uh, is it a bit more difficult now that he's skipped town Uh, yeah look I think because we are natively online
0: all the time uh, it's not that difficult but yeah the time zones do get a bit annoying Um, and you know like I mean he's off doing his own thing now I think Uh, he's he's spread his wings and uh, he's he's blown off um, yeah. <laughs> uh, i don't know where if he's going to ever come back um but uh yeah no it, it, I, I speak
2: to him still every day mate we're still yeah, in cool. contact yeah cool that's awesome um basically the purpose of this one then katan is um so brenda wants to do a a glossary right so i've i've been here since 15 16 you've been here since about 20 uh, 2020, 2020. yeah so um obviously i've been doing a bit of hand holding on the way um i'm no expert but i've been doing a little bit of hand holding that's been helpful but what you said to me was that, um, it'd been really helpful if I just had something to relate back to that I could do in my own time. Um, like a simple gloss- glossary. There, there are a lot of things thrown around, um, a lot of terms thrown around that, um, from a, from a, from a lay person, they just wouldn't understand. Yeah. So we're, we're going to throw some, um, terms at you this evening, if that's okay. And we don't want to go too deep on them, but I mean, by all means you go where you like, but, um, what I want to do is like be able to actually break this pod down into, you know, at two minutes twenty, we're talking about this, but at five minutes sixty, you know, five minutes thirty-five, we're talking about this. Yeah. Um. And then people can, if you know, people, we've all had the experience of feeling a bit stupid. Um. So if there's somewhere for somebody to relate and they can go just go straight to the answer, that would be awesome. So yeah. we're gonna, so we're gonna throw over to you to be our expert for the evening, if that's okay. We'd really appreciate it. Perfect. Perfect.
1: Uh. All right. What do we start with? Well, G-, G. What. What is Bitcoin?
2: What is Bitcoin? Let's go there.
0: All right. Well, Bitcoin is a new form of money that is natively digital. It has no central uh, authority. There's no central bank. There's no uh, bank involved. Um, and the transactions are completely peer-to-peer. So you can send money directly from my wallet to your wallet in a decentralized, trustless fashion. Um And uh, I think it's an idea whose time has definitely come. So that is kind of a brief primer onto what Bitcoin is. Uh, There's obviously more to it than that, but, um, you know, yeah, basically that's
2: it. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, Okay. So, So how many of them are there? How many Bitcoins are there? So one of the key features of Bitcoin
0: alongside its decentralization properties is the fact that there is a, what's known as a hard cap. Now, a hard, the hard cap is there will never be more than 21 million coins on issue. Uh, that has been baked in uh, since its inception. Um, so uh, that basically means that uh, you know, it is inflation resistant. Uh, so at the moment, there is inflation, um, but it's, it tapers off at in, in the year 2140. You and I will all be dead by then. Uh, unless there's some life-changing technology, uh, which is quite possible, who knows? Uh, but by 2140, we expect all coins, all 21, to be minted and out in circulation, at which point it will cease to uh, create more, more new coins.
2: Um, so so right now, I'd be, I'm right in saying we're about 18.8 million are already in circulation, a little bit more, already in circulation.
0: That is correct. So we've got another two million-ish or yeah. one and a half million-ish to go. Yeah, that's right. It's a very slow cycle. So the the way that it works is when when the bitcoin well, when Bitcoin first started, um, it released uh, fifty bitcoins per ten minutes, and that then halved um, and will keep halving roughly every. Four years. Um, and that's what's known as, I guess, the halvening or, or the halving. Um, we still haven't got consensus on whether we call it halvening or oh, it's halving. halving. It's halving. I, I think it's halving. <laughs> I think it is halving. I'm
2: halving. as well. So we're all agree with yeah. this. good.
0: All right. Okay. Well, yeah. So we're going with halving and basically that's what happens every roughly uh, four years. But in block terms, that is 210,000 blocks um, that the the, uh, the the supply will go from 50 to uh, 25, which then goes to 12 and a half. And now we are currently in the 6.25 epoch per per block, per block, yes. per block, and yeah. each block comes out roughly 10 minutes, every yeah. 10 minutes.
2: Yeah. Okay. So somebody sitting there is thinking, um, okay, but there are, hang on, there's, 7.8 billion people in the world, and there can only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. How does how, how, how can we all have one?
0: Uh, that, that is a great question. And one of the things that Bitcoin is able to do is it is able to be divided in up to eight decimal places. So in Australian dollars, we have two um, decimal places, like $2.50, so five zero. In Bitcoin, we can have eight decimal places. So... That would mean that we have um, 0.00000001 of a Bitcoin. That is known as a Satoshi or colloquially, it's called a Sat. So you can have 300 Sats, you can have 500 Sats, you can have 1 million Sats, and then 100 million Sats would be asking for one whole Bitcoin. That That is what uh, that would represent. So... That's the conversion uh, th- rates. Yeah, I think
1: conceptually for a lot of normies, that's a hard concept to get your head around because they're still in the the one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin and I can only buy one Bitcoin. I had a conversation with someone today who has bought all these other shit coins um, purely because she, she wanted more of like as many of these things as she could get and she didn't want to get a fraction of a Bitcoin. And that's, that's a, a, quite a hurdle to... Yep. Get over, I think, for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, so this is called what's known as unit bias, and basically, yes. you think you to yourself, "Oh, look, this coin's cheaper," uh, but um, yeah, so let's get more of those uh, mm. because my Australian dollars. So, if I had a ten thousand dollar investment, I'd get you know ten thousand units of this uh, this coin, whereas Bitcoin, I'd only get you know point two. Oh, who wants point two? That's
2: you know. Yeah. yeah. So, so you believe people are going to start talking over time we are going to start talking in satoshis and, or sats rather than Bitcoin? I hope so.
0: I think that that is uh, looking like where the standard is going. Um, and so people are, particularly uh, when they're raising invoices and asking for um, pricing things, uh, they are pricing things in sats um, and saying, look, I'll open up a, you know, I'll, you know, have a, 500 sats or 200, 2,000 sats or 200,000 sats. It's just going to be, uh, hopefully it will become the norm to just say
2: that. Yeah, yeah. So so simply what we're saying is um, we have dollars and cents. We have Bitcoin and satoshis. It's yes, conceptual.
1: Yeah, um, conceptually. And yes.
2: just just let's just very quickly say uh, tell people why they're called uh, satoshis. Uh,
0: well, yes. Um, the Satoshi is a the anonymous um a creator of bitcoin uh we don't know who he is um there's no identity to him and, or her uh so we don't or, or group of people we don't know um and so that is what it has been sort of named after uh some people have a problem with it some people don't and so that's why some people just refer to it as sats trying to move away from you know, appealing to an authority, which is yes. something that we're, we we tend not to do in Bitcoin. Uh, we try and be our self-sovereign individuals and we don't appeal to authority. And that's one of the key principles around uh, Bitcoin as well. So that's, yeah, some people have a problem with naming it Satoshi. So now we've just gone with Sats. Gotcha.
1: That's part of the magic of Bitcoin though, is the fact that Satoshi is no longer really uh, and so it really drives home how decentralized it, yeah, it, it really it, is, and nobody there, controls it. Nobody owns it.
0: That's right. There, yeah. there is no central point central, of authority
2: yeah. that speaks
0: uh, for Bitcoin.
2: Yes. Yeah. There's a, it's a competition for ideas, and the best ideas win. Essentially, that's
0: correct. That At is least. that is how yes, it, it, it generally tends to work. Um, yeah, it is a competition of the best ideas and it takes those ideas. And if it wins, it gets implemented into the Bitcoin network for everybody to, to utilize. Yeah. Uh, and that's
2: how the development of it works. Perfect. So there's another term, uh, term Kitan, um, hodlers. Um, what's a hodler?
1: And where a did hodler? it originate?
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> there was a
0: post on Reddit. Uh, many years ago, um, I think this gentleman must have been on the source uh, <laughs> when he, he typed this up, but he uh, basically uh, made a typo and instead of hold up, uh, he, he, he just said hodler. Um, and this post went viral, uh, basically, you know, uh, asking people to hold their coins, to hold the line, um, but he misspelled it to hodl. And so now anyone who holds Bitcoin is
2: colloquially known as a hodler. Um, And so that's what a hodler is. But that also became sort of hold on for dear life, right? That's it's I don't actually know where that transition happened. Um, Yeah. um,
0: So I think there was a a, a, like a meme train that came through, like the roller coaster, and that (laughs) came with the um, hold on for dear life or hodl on for dear life. Yeah. Um, You know, because at the time, and it still currently is pretty volatile, but back in those days, uh, there there was, um, you know, it it was swinging pretty wildly. Uh, Mm -hmm. I remember when I first saw Bitcoin, it was $36.00. And um, it went up quickly. It went up real quickly. And then when I jumped on board, uh, I thought, "Man, I got ripped off. I'm going to get absolutely dumped on here." <laughs> but then it went and continued going up. And then this huge crash. And yeah, uh, we've had history of, of that going um, for <laughs> many years now.
2: <laughs> so yeah, I mean, for all that um, uh, all the hard hardcore Bitcoiner believes, the Bitcoin is going to be, you know, maybe the the currency of the world. It um, is not um logical to expect anything to go up and go up in a straight line even if it gets there or it's not going to go up in a straight line so we're going there will always be periods of volatility but probably that volatility will um lessen as time goes on is that would you agree with that uh, i would hope so I, I and i would think so um as this you
0: know uh, sailboat that we're using right now turns into um, a, a larger ship, uh, then we can sort of weather storms, um, and it becomes very difficult for one single entity to come in and just dump. Uh, but that will ha- uh, hopefully, um, you know, sort itself out over time. Uh, but yeah, the long term trend, if you look at it, is is looking like it's going up, and I think that that is because there is a strict supply or a rather a well-known schedule of issuance. And so that is really what is driving this increasing demand, particularly in a world that seems to be printing more money. Um, and you know, in that context, it's coming out to be, you know, quite, quite true.
1: So I guess in, in this environment, um, there are more and more, uh, altcoins or different cryptocurrencies, can you kind of speak to, I guess, obviously not specifically, but what they are or how Bitcoin actually differs from all of them?
0: Yeah, so altcoins um, are a, basically a fork of Bitcoin generally. Well, some of them are a fork, some of them aren't, uh, but basically uh, they are another form of say currency that someone has tweaked a little bit and then thrown out to the world, uh, depending on some sort of ideology that they've had. Mm. Um, So for example, I'll look at Litecoin. The only thing that Litecoin has changed is the supply. Um, So they're thinking, okay, well, if Bitcoin is gold, then hey, Litecoin's the silver. Um, And so they've changed the supply to like, I think it's 84 million and then thrown that out into the world. Uh, there's another one, um, and they have, uh, basically changed some of the block heights and blocks and some of the parameters of the code and, uh, they've shipped it out and it has then just kind of done its own thing. And if you look at it though, uh, in terms of trends, uh, it, it, it seems to be that, uh, Bitcoin has sort of held its own there, um. And it's something that can't be replicated uh, because we, we've, for the first time in history, in the history of humanity, we've created digital scarcity. And th- the, I think uh, that sort of assurance that Bitcoin provides is something that I don't think any other coin will be able to be uh, to provide. Uh, it has a long-standing track record of sticking to its principles. It's got um, a supply schedule that has never been tampered with um, since its inception. Uh, it has not been pre-mined. No one has sort of sprooked it. Uh, no one has sort of tinkered with uh, the variables to the point where it's unrecognizable. Um, and so uh, this is why I think that Bitcoin is something that is special. Um, and it was the first coin that ever came out. And uh, yeah, that's that's really kind of why I see Bitcoin as... as it, it just provides that certainty that I need to make uh, good judgments about what I do with my money.
2: Um, and Bitcoin is, um, as we previously discussed, sort of controlled by no one or everyone, if you like, mm. um, whereas um, all of these altcoins are an idea from a person or an organization. So that, that, that person or organization is a vulnerability to... Good or bad intentions.
0: That, that is correct. Um, so there is this idea that there is a central figurehead, so to speak, um, for some of these, well, all of these altcoins will have some form of, you know, figurehead that dictates uh, what the rules or influences what the rules could be into the future.
2: With Bitcoin, that is somewhat mute. Mm. Okay, so you get the term altcoin, but you also sometimes will hear the term um, stablecoin. How does that how does that differ from an altcoin, or does it differ from an altcoin?
0: So stable coins are basically coins that um, represent a national currency, but in a more crypto-friendly um, way. Uh, for it's usually for those who wish to trade. Now, for me personally, I, I, I don't recommend that you go around trading bitcoins actively, trying to create a fiat dollar profit. But if uh, that is something that some people wish to do, then they can use what's known as a stable coin to get in and out of periods of volatility to Bitcoin. So, um, you know, typically the, and what, what this is, is, is really just a coin that represents, say, for example, the US dollar. So one tether is what one of those stable coins uh, would equal one US dollar. But sometimes those have problems in itself. Um, you know, the network could crash. Uh, they might not be backed fully. Um, we, there are problems with holding that sort of uh, stable coin. But the idea is that there is, it, it, it is stable in that it is pegged
2: to a currency uh, such as the US dollar or some sort of government-issued currency. So in the same way as we, you know, there is Fort Knox and we all believe there's gold there. And we don't actually know how much gold there is physically. And with a stable coin, there's a there's stable coin being issued, but we can we actually verify that what has been issued, we have the backing of? No, that, that and that is one of the issues with stable coins. We that's don't actually great, know. Great point. All right. Yeah. Cool. I think that's cool. So um, the blockchain. So going back... Um, when I first got in, the, the the narrative was very much: it's not Bitcoin; it's the blockchain; it's the technology behind Bitcoin. That <laughs> sorry, I'm triggering you. Huh? But, um, the um, I'm not, I'm not not doing it deliberately. From um, the um, yeah, it's a, it a technology behind Bitcoin that's the thing. So what? Why is that wrong? But what is the blockchain? Okay, so the blockchain is simply
0: um, a database of all Bitcoin transactions since inception. It's the mechanism by which uh, we are able to trustlessly um, distribute this uh, database or call it ledger um, around the world. And transactions are ordered um, basically, well, well, they're they're ordered. So, uh, you know, Every as I, as I mentioned, every 10 minutes you have this block, which is a group of transactions, and that is then added to the previous block. And so you get this nice little chain, hence the term blockchain. Now, people seem to think that this is some sort of revolutionary idea. Um, and I think to some extent, like it, it takes upon like a, a, a torrent, for instance. Um, now, Australia is the pirate, piracy capital of the world. Uh, so many uh, of Guilty. the Australians <laughs> w- w- will be familiar with torrents. Um, and so torrent, it, this is basically a torrent uh, that is distributed out to everybody's computer. And if you don't need that, if, you're, if your uh, need for a blockchain does not require some form of trustlessness or decentralization, then you can put whatever you want onto a normal database. We have that already. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you'll find that if you just think a step back and ask yourself, in the context of money, how is this blockchain used? Then you'll think, okay, well, we need this because we need something that's trustless. Um, whereas if you were to use some other use case, uh, then you might think, well, hold on. It's probably not efficient to distribute this out to everybody. Why can't we just have it in a central database somewhere and you know keep track of that ourselves? So this narrative that it's the blockchain, not Bitcoin, um, is
2: is a bit, I, I think, is a bit misguided. So it's it's um, potentially more of a, a buzzword for IT departments to to get funding for a program that they, let's say, for example, a shipping company that only keeps their records internally. Um, the, there's no use case that I can see for a blockchain. There is absolutely a use case for a database um, mm. because it's much more efficient. And But the, that, blo- the blockchain is going to become less efficient over time, but we're protecting something that's worth protecting. Yes. That is exactly... Um, yeah, the
0: the, the y- you've got it right.
2: That's exactly correct. Awesome. Awesome. Um, all right. Anything else to blockchain from you? Anything you didn't understand?
1: Um no, I mean, I, I find it funny that um, there's all this kind of FUD. Oh, actually, well, sorry, what's FUD? Let's talk about um, FUD. Might as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> FUD, FUD stands for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Um, a lot of FUD gets spread around things like um, a country banning Bitcoin. That's big FUD. Mm. Um, when a country bans Bitcoin, you start to see this, uh, you know, oh, scary stuff being published on the on the on the mainstream media. Um, this is what we know what we call FUD. Uh, there's plenty of FUD, like, um, you know, uh, that there's a bug. There's an inflation bug in Bitcoin. That's a bit of FUD there. Um, there's, uh, you know, it's too volatile. It uses up too much energy. Jeez, uh, the, 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 the list of FUD continues to to grow. Yeah. Uh, but you'll see that, and what I've found, is that they seem to recycle the FUD every sort of a uh, couple of years. And yeah, that, that's kind of like uh, throughout that history of that time period, um, you can see that there's actually a website. It's called um, 99 Bitcoins. I think it's oh, Bitcoin obituary. That's it. And basically <laughs> since 2010, we've got mainstream articles uh, basically with the headline saying Bitcoin will be dead by X amount of time or Bitcoin is dead. Basically, uh, making an obituary of Bitcoin and it's got the timestamp, it's got the price. And if you look back, it is just (laughs) hilarious. Um, And and these are mainstream outlets that that are writing
2: this sort of stuff. And it just completely
1: destroys the FUD. Yeah.
2: So for me, and this is just devil's advocate a little bit, um, there's two types of fud. Um, you've got uninformed, ignorant fud, pe- who pe- maybe journalists who've been t- who've been given a forty-eight hour deadline to come up with a piece on Bitcoin, and they quickly, you know, scour the net for whatever they can find, and they come up with a piece. It's not. In- I don't necessarily think that's intentionally negative. It's just that's the way it comes across. And then you get the absolutely um, um, coordinated um, attack at, at, on Bitcoin. Cranky hanky. A cranky hanky. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so
0: yeah there, there is a bit of that um you know there's different levels of fud uh but basically most of the fud that is out there is designed to part you of your sats which is why we hodl
1: yeah what i was going to say about the the fud thing too is that that i love that um the blockchain is so transparent like everything is there for anyone to see and yet what's constantly pushed is pushed is that we're shadowy super coders that are you know, trading in the dark and all that kind of stuff. So that's yeah, an interesting
0: it, it, one. The irony is if you look at, say, for example, if you wanted to audit the Fed, so to speak, yeah, um, the, the, it's like it, it is almost impossible to get that done. It's all behind closed doors. There's nothing open or transparent about how the US dollar works or the Australian mm. dollar works. Mm. Um, but yet uh, we're called the shadowy supercoders uh, because we've got everything that's pretty much open source. It is uh, like it, it, there's, there's chat rooms that are available. Upon discussions, uh, yeah. you can see uh, in depth how they've arrived at certain conclusions and what they've done to to, to sort of um, you know make a, a, an assessment of what's good and what's bad. Um, and you know, like it's all out there in the open, and people are you know as, as open and transparent as possible. Um, I've never seen that from a money supply in my entire life. Um, Whereas Bitcoin has just, I just wish that the Australian dollar and the US dollars could do the same thing. And yet we are the shadowy super coders.
2: (laughs) Which is amusing because neither of us, certainly not at this end anyway, are anything close to a super coder. No. (laughs) Uh, Shadowy, however. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. So, Um, what I've got in my list here is, um, what are confirmations, but let's just, let's just go back slightly on that if we can, because, um, there was a, a big debate going back to 2017 time about the speed of Bitcoin, how quickly Bitcoin transactions are processed. And if you can only, if you can't do it fast enough, it'll never, you'll never be able to buy a coffee. So can you go into sort of slightly into that debate and then also talk about the confirmations because they sort of come together, I think.
0: Yeah. Okay. So one of the, uh, um, I guess the concerns is that, um, you know, we needed to, um, every 10 minutes, the block contains a number of transactions. There's not an infinite amount of transactions, um, that you can put into one block. It is actually, it is, it is a very small amount. It is literally one megabyte. Um, and that will hold roughly about, I'm going to say 2,000 to 3,000 to 4,000 transactions in that vicinity, right? Um, And so people were concerned that, okay, if this is going to be a massive global, uh, you know, uh, currency that's going to be adopted and everyone's going to be using buying coffee with it, How does this scale? Because, you know, we've got this thing, who's gonna wait 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes just to get a coffee, just doesn't make sense. So what was proposed was this idea of a block size increase and that was quickly thwarted. And the reason that it was thwarted is because when you increase the block size, you also increase the size of the blockchain. And the blockchain is distributed on everybody's computer now, if I, as just a random dude, um, wanted to uh, spin up um, and, and get, get those transactions and put them onto my hard drive, well, if there's an unlimited supply of, or, or, or the uh, supply of transactions that can be put through in a block, well, what does that do to the blockchain size? So do we even have enough hard drive space to be able to do that? And is it, You know, is that even reasonable for the common person to to do and to verify his own transactions using a Bitcoin node? And basically, we came to the conclusion that, hey, look, we need to scale this a different way. We can't just keep this blockchain completely bloated. There are other altcoins that have these bloated blockchains and no one can verify the coins of them. Uh, And so if that's going to be the monetary standard, I want to be able to uh, verify my coins and I want them to be confirmed um, by that that particular network. Now, what a confirmation is, is really if you are, I, I guess, a... Um, looking, uh, if, you're, if you're just a, as a user, you are putting a transaction onto the Bitcoin network. Say you broadcast one. And what, that, what happens is it ends up in what's known as the mempool or, or just this pool of transactions. Now, what will happen is once that it is actually confirmed by the miners, I written to the blockchain, that is when you get one confirmation. And then that's the first block that your transaction has been entered into. Every subsequent block that goes on top of that is your, your your other confirmations. So you'll have one confirmation, then you'll have two confirmations as the second block comes in. And then the third block by six confirmations, typically speaking, that transaction is now irreversible. No one will be able to reverse. Uh, even look, even just one confirmation is pretty much solved. You're not going to reverse that, but Six confirmations is deemed to be the okay. That's it. Final salt.
1: So that's across six blocks.
2: Yep, that would yeah. be across six blocks. Okay. So potentially, with your average ten minute block time, you're talking an an hour on the, on, right. on, on an average day. Whether you know, yep. it can be a couple. You know, sometimes it'll be a couple of minutes. Sometimes it'll be you know forty five minutes. But over time, it averages out about ten. And this that's is correct.
1: this isn't this a one sat per per byte guy? <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're famous, man. So the, the reason
0: that, look, so yes, I, I, I have famously tweeted out that I only do one sat per byte transactions. Um, whether that is uh, going to eventuate or not, I, I can't predict the future. Uh, but if we are to scale Bitcoin into other layers um, and reduce the pressure that is on the main chain over time, theoretically, I don't see any particular reason why we can't still have cheap transactions on the Bitcoin network if scaling continues to occur. Uh, Yes, there will be times of severe busyness, but then there will also be times where, you know what, not much is going on. And so I think at some point we will have to keep clearing those blocks. This is just an opinion only. Um, This is not really, you know, some sort of, Maths that I've worked out, but I'm hoping that one set terabyte transactions will continue to 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 be confirmed. Uh, hoping, let's see but, what happens. Fight the
1: good fight.
2: <laughs> so, so that being the case, there may be somebody still sitting there and um, thinking, "Well, hang on a second. Why, I, I, if I'm keen on this and I do want to be buying my coffee at Starbucks, um, and I don't want to stand there for 24 minutes for a for my block to confirm, um, and I don't want to pay a lot." Um, a lot of Sats per byte to get it through. How is that going to happen? Is this what you're? Is that the scaling you're talking about? And what is this? What is the scaling you're talking about? Okay,
0: so th- there is a proposal. Um, it's called the Lightning Network. Um, it's a layer two scaling proposal. So what that means is it's Bitcoin, but it sits on top of Bitcoin. Um, and basically, what happens is we uh, say, for example, I wanted to pay you but I wanted to pay you over the lightning network instead of using the main chain. What would happen is I would open up a channel to you um, and what we could do is fling sats between the two of us. So we can all send you, say we open up a million sat uh, um, uh, channel. Say I send you 500,000, then you send me 300,000. Then I send you 100,000. And we keep going back and forth, back and forth. And then what we do is we decide, you know what? We're done here. We don't need a relationship anymore. We'll close the channel. What will then end up happening is what you're owed on your side of the channel goes to you. And what I'm owed to my side of the channel goes to me. So we've, we've potentially conducted 50 transactions in this one channel, but we've never put it on chain until the start and the end. And this is how we are trying to minimize the amount of uh, coffee that is being spent on the Bitcoin network. Because quite frankly, I don't need a history of people's coffee on my computer when I run this Bitcoin node. Um, I, don't, I don't need to. And I think it wastes space to even verify it all the time. So, or, or wastes resources to do that. So, this is a scaling proposal that is quite popular um, now in the Bitcoin world, and it is gaining more popularity, uh, particularly in places like El Salvador. Tongas looking into it, maybe some other um, jurisdictions are also looking into it as well. So,
2: hopefully, because, because it's because it's helpful for lower value transactions. Yes, that is
1: that is correct. Yeah, and and the speed, which is- and
2: and the speed, but yeah. but also like we are in Australia. So let's say you had a building firm and the building firm got most of their supplies at Bunnings. Mm. Um, Bunnings and the building firm could have a lightning channel between them. They could transact back and forward and only close close that channel every quarter, settle back to the main chain on Bitcoin, pay that slightly higher fee, (laughs) wait the time that it takes. But every day, Dave the joiner turns up to get his planks of wood. Dave can just pick up his wood and go,
0: that is correct. That's exactly
2: yeah. how it would yeah. work.
0: But it's not just between two people. It can also be between a multitude of people. So what really happens is this decentralized network, again, that you can route through. So you might not need a a, a, a direct channel to Bunnings. If um, somebody else that you are connected to already has a direct channel with Bunnings, you can route it through them. So we can see start to see uh, that, you know, having a small amount of channels or, you know, some level of channels uh, will get you to most places on the internet. And mm. you'll be able to stream packets of basically information as your payment. That is pretty impressive stuff.
1: It's amazing.
2: It, it's incredible. It's so, amazing. Um, so the analogy for me, I like the analogy. It does. So um, the analogy for me would be, um, most people don't really understand how the internet works they just understand that it works and it works for them
0: so that's correct
2: so some people will be managing channels and but most people won't be managing channels in the future they 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 are they, they, absolutely entitled to if they want to choose to but they don't have to um so that that, that channel will be there for them so dave the joiner can go to bunnings and not have to worry about lightning channel management he doesn't have to retrain as a as a call, as we super quota.
0: That that's correct. But the, the the key thing here is that if Dave the 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 Join woodworker yeah. um, was wanted to, he could participate. If he yes. wanted to, yes. there is nothing stopping him from participating. He like for example, if I wanted to become my own bank, well, I think there's going to be some issues there. Yes. But if I wanted to manage my own channels. Well, there's nothing stopping someone from doing that. Um, so that that that's the clear difference. It is open access and open innovation.
1: Here's a rookie question. So if Dave the Joiner and Bunnings um, have a channel open, um, if Bunnings decides that Dave the Joiner is dodgy, he they shut the channel, dave just gets shut off like do that do both parties have to shut off the channel like how how does that work no so what would happen is (laughs) actually what
0: if 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 dave the woodworker or the joiner has been extremely naughty Mm
2: -hmm. um
0: he loses his side of the channel as well um and so what will end up happening is that i as the channel opener might get all of his funds as well so there's every incentive not to cheat not to be dodgy Um, yeah Dave uh, can get his boss. He, he, he will get fired if he does something dodgy. Dodgy um, Dave, yeah. Dodgy Dave will not have uh, any of that. Sorry it's, to all the he's... joiners called Dave out there. <laughs> <laughs> sure top
2: hook. Um, awesome. Um, so a little jump there. So let's just go back. So that's where we're sort of jumping over to lightning. But what does made sense? Though. Yeah, it did at the time. So um, we kind of skipped mining. So um, back in you know, eight years ago, Katan in his bedroom was mining Bitcoin with his, uh, with his home computer. I'm guessing, (laughs) but, um, and that was absolutely possible or um, is that still possible? And what is mining firstly? And is it still possible for for, for individuals to do, or has that become too, Is it become too sophisticated for individuals? Okay. So
0: mining, I just want to preface this um, as a user. Um, I just want to sort of preface it. There's a lot of detail that we can go into in in, in, when it comes to mining, but as a user, you don't need to necessarily understand the intricacies. It's just a basic understanding. The the principle
2: of what it is, yeah,
0: exactly. So I think when it comes to, for example, like if uh, just to give you an analogy, right? If you've got a car to drive a car, you don't necessarily need to know the uh, uh, the inner workings of the combustion exhaust mechanisms right you just need to learn how to drive the car so similarly when it comes to mining there are two things that mining does number one it's the process by which newly minted coins are created and circulated in the ecosystem and it is the process by which new transactions are added to the database. So it serves two functions. And primarily, what is actually happening is these miners are playing a lottery. Basically, it's a ticketing game. Um, And they're using what's known as specialized hardware to do this. And this specialized hardware takes up a lot of energy. And the Bitcoin network will recognize this energy and it will say, hey, um, thanks for guessing, but you've got the incorrect answer. Thanks for guessing, it's the incorrect answer. And so they will solve these mathematical large numbers. And in the process, they are looking to win the new block reward. Um, or, or And what will happen is they will be given these newly minted coins uh, as a result of their hard work and dedication, just like you would if you were out there on the minefields picking away at gold. Uh, that is work that is being conducted, whereas this work is actually being conducted by computers, but it is actually burning energy, and that costs money. And these miners want to be rewarded for that in the form of newly minted coins. But also, <laughs> they are keeping the network secure because if they if they decide to cheat, well, they've just expended some um uh expended energy and they have not been paid for that um so there is every incentive for them to not cheat the system um and and play play by the rules uh and so that is basically what mining does it helps to secure the network it's it's the mechanism by which you know uh newly minted coins are created and they add they're the ones that add the new transactions onto the block and so and everybody else just reads off that that's in a nutshell, oh, you also asked me if it's uh, still um, you know, feasible for an individual to do there's actually a bit of debate now um i would have said a couple of months ago or even a couple of years ago uh that hey it's it's well outside of the um realms of of uh of the individual and by and large probably if you're brand new to the space and you've got no idea you probably want to start with learning how bitcoin works and using a wallet and using a running a node and those sorts of things before you get it down into the mining path um but Uh, When it comes to mining, I know some guys, groups who are buying miners just as a home hobby type situation. I don't think they're making ridiculous sums of profit, but what they are getting is uh, KYC-free Bitcoin. Uh, We'll come to that. I I assume you want to talk about that a bit later. Um, But this is something that they're using as an alternative way to earn money. Um, And this is possible, uh, but specialized equipment... Specialized electricity grid, specialized things. Um, it's not probably, it's not like a plug and play where you could just, you know, spin up your computer and where you go, start mining. That's, it's not as easy as that.
2: Okay. Um, something that's probably out with the scope of this pod, but I can imagine somebody thinking about it right now because of your answer um, saying, okay, well, if we assume that it's, if this is energy intensive and we assume that it's going to um, go up in value and more people are going to become interested that's going to become a bigger and bigger problem. Is there somebody or somewhere you could hand off and if, if somebody wants to um, really understand and get to the bottom of the energy FUD? I would recommend a
0: gentleman by the name of Hass McCook. Um, he's an Australian. He does research on this, and I think he can speak to uh, the energy FUD um, as well as other energy sources that could be that we could transition to um, to, to, to get... Something a little bit cleaner, um, but yeah, that I would recommend speaking with Hass. Um, he, um,
2: yeah, awesome. Uh, I, I totally agree. A great old recommendation, and also he features in a documentary called This Machine Greens. Have you? I don't know if you've had the chance to see that yet. No, um, I haven't seen that one yet. If you get the chance, have a look. It's um yeah, it's worth the watch for people, and and Hass is in that too. So all right, um, Hass,
1: um, if you're listening, yeah, we'll <laughs> see you. We'll see you next time. Yeah. Um,
2: oh no, that's that's great. Where are we up to?
1: Um, Well, I think, I I guess if we're going to talk about mining um, and the idea that people at home can't necessarily get into it that aren't fairly new, maybe we go to what a Bitcoin node is or or how they can contribute to the network with a Bitcoin node. (laughs)
0: Yeah, so Bitcoin, uh, a Bitcoin node is actually something to help you. It's it's actually a, it's more of a selfish act than actually contributing to the network, but it can be in the cont- contribution of the network as a whole. So what you are doing with a Bitcoin node is running a piece of software on your computer, usually Bitcoin Core, that's the most um a popular uh, choice. Um, and basically what this software does is it actually verifies your incoming payments, but it also gives you a gateway to the Bitcoin network so that you can't be censored or blocked by somebody else. So if you're using somebody else's node, well, that person can either block you, can uh, stop your payment from going through, um, those sorts of things. Whereas have running your own Bitcoin node on your own internet connection, on your own hardware, Nobody can tell you when you can't or can can transact. Uh, there's no other, you know, it, it's very open access. But when you receive a coin um, from somebody, your Bitcoin node is what's going to tell you that this is a legitimate Bitcoin um, that is entering your wallet. Uh, it's not going to be some sort so say, for example, um, you know, you, 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 you have a, an altcoin um, that gets paid to a Bitcoin address. It will just go, mm, yeah. Shitcoin, mm-hmm. and it will it will reject it, um, and so that is what a Bitcoin does. It Bitcoin node does. It helps you to confirm that you actually hold Bitcoin, uh, just like you would if if there was some gold. Um, you need some sort of you know mechanism for which you can you know view it, open it up, take a look at it, weigh it, those sorts of things. Uh, similarly, in the digital realm a bitcoin node is how we verify our transactions it's really really important and i think everyone should be running a bitcoin node or at least every household should be running a bitcoin node
2: um so if you in the legacy world if if you know you try and make a transaction for something and or or your credit card or whatever and your bank uh blocks the transaction um if if you are running the node, your own node in the Bitcoin network you are in charge of your transactions and you decide where where the money goes and when it goes.
0: That is correct. That there,
2: there, there is no one stopping no, you. There's you no have middle com- person that can stop that. Th-
0: there is nobody whatsoever. Once you put that out there and it is broadcast, um, and it, then it is confirmed, mm. it's it's
2: as good as gold. That transaction is never coming back. So there's also a responsibility, the personal <sighs> responsibility that comes into this equation as well. Then. Um, big, big personal responsibility. Um, the, the thing is, and,
0: and you know, some people get scared by this, but Bitcoin transactions are absolutely irreversible. Uh, there is nothing that can, um, reverse those transactions. If you make a mistake, I'm sorry for your loss. Uh, there is no <laughs> call center. There is no, uh, government, there is no body to go up and call. There's no help desk saying, Hey, I sent it to the
2: wrong address. Can you just, you know, No, no chance. Sorry. So, so if Brendo and I were out for dinner and he paid for dinner, which is probably unlikely, Uh ah, but um, (laughs) true. uh, So he wanted to get some back, (laughs) and I sent him some Bitcoin or some Sats over, and, and I inadvertently sent him too many. Because we knew each other, we could come to an agreement that he would send some back. But if we didn't know each other at all, tough luck.
1: But if I'm the guy that doesn't want to pay for dinner, I'm unlikely <laughs> to want to give you your <laughs>
2: satisfaction. That is correct. But think about this
0: in a, in a business context as well. If you are doing business with somebody and um, it, it's kind of like an eBay system as well. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. you've got these stars, you've got reputable sellers, you've got reputable buyers. And if something does go, I, I think you know, men can shake hands and say, hey, look, I, I, I overpaid here can you give me a refund um and i think that, that that's that's going to happen but the moment that someone goes nah screw you it's mine now well your reputations at stake as well so yes. it's not just about the money it's also about your reputation mm-hmm. and how much business you think you're going to get in the future as a result of doing something shady like this so it's not necessarily you know that you know uh, uh, it's irreversible completely it's you also tarnish your own business name as well so the it, just all I'm saying out there is act in good faith, people. Yes.
2: <laughs> it's You're in, you're in, being incentivized to do the right thing. That's right. Um, and none of us are better than our incentives. Yes. Um, that is exactly right. No worries. So if, if, um, if I was to send, if I wanted to send Bitcoin to you, um, and I would, what would I require? And how would I practically go about sending it to you? What, what do I require from you? Uh, Yes, you need
0: what's known as a Bitcoin address. Now, they will look like a bunch of gibberish, but there's actually three types of Bitcoin gibberish, um, which is known as an address. Now, if you're going to send me Bitcoin, I'm going to have to give you what's known as a Bitcoin address, uh, which is usually generated out of a Bitcoin wallet. And there's three types. There's one that starts with the number one um, called the legacy addresses. There's one that starts with the number three, which is called like nested nested SegWit, and then there's the a one that starts with BC1, um, and that is called native SegWit. That's the most uh, recent form of Bitcoin addresses, which has yeah, lower transaction fees. Uh, it enables Lightning Network, um, and this is what sort of SegWit does. It allows for further scaling of Bitcoin transactions, making them smaller in size, such that we can pump more transactions into that limited block space that we have. So that's what SegWit really aimed to do, but also to enable Lightning Network and those sorts of things as well. So you will typically um, be given a BC1 or, 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 or you'll be giving out this BC1 address to whoever you want to pay you. So say, for example, you bought some uh, Bitcoin from somebody or you bought it from an exchange, you'll say to them, hey, could you please pay me to this address? And it'll start with BC1 and then a bunch of gibberish. You'll send that to them and they will then pay to that address Um and you will then receive that in your Bitcoin wallet and, you, and the confirmations you will also see as well. Um, you know, one confirmation, two, three, and so forth.
2: Okay, so these different types of addresses, um, I, can, I, I can hear people thinking, um, well, what if I only have the old address? So the, the, the new addresses have brought in improvements, but the old addresses are still valid. They just don't have the improvements. That's correct. It's it's what's known as backward compatibility. Um,
0: and so all of these addresses, it, it doesn't matter which one you have, they can all pay to each other and they can all receive from each other and it's all, you know, very interoperable. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there's no need to worry which sort of, you know, like if you've got coins that are sitting in a three that you need to somehow, you know, upgrade to the, the BC one or something like that. There's nothing like that. It's just, they're all interoperable. There's nothing that you can, you know, you can pay to all of them and you can receive to all of them. So yeah, it's, it's still there.
2: Um, um, well, let's just, we've we jumped about a bit, but look, can we just go to KYC coins and non KYC coins as well? What, what is KYC firstly? Um, okay. And why would somebody want to have non-kyc coins if they if that's a possibility for them?
0: okay so kyc means know your customer or know your client. Um, it is a piece of legislation that is created by humans um, and what has happened here is that it requires you to give over your identity information upon the buying or selling of coins uh, or, or of bitcoin. Now, when you interact with um, a uh, like a, going from fiat to Bitcoin or Bitcoin to fiat. Um, so basically, KYC coins and non KYC coins on the Bitcoin network, there is actually nothing to say that there is this is KYC and this is not KYC. This is a human lens that has been put on top of Bitcoin to, to basically track and surveil and put an identity to certain addresses. And that's what KYC coins pretty much are. Um, But it is not necessarily on the network itself. It is just that if, for example, you have bought on an exchange and you've given away your identity information and you've told them, hey, uh, this is the address that I want you to pay to, well, that's a starting point for analysis to occur on what you're doing with your coins and where they're going. That is just a starting point for them. They also have a permanent record of how much you bought, how much you've sold, um, how much uh, what date you sold them for, and the price. These are all records that are kept not on the data, on the Bitcoin database. They are a database outside of the actual Bitcoin network. Now non-kyC coins are basically free of that information. And so what that means is there is no real identity tied to those coins from, uh, from a human, you know, analytical perspective. Uh, we call it chain analysis, basically. Um, and so that is really why you would want non-KYC coins. It's to preserve your privacy. You, Bitcoin is a very big, open, transparent ledger to which people are looking at and, as a result, um, people want to see you, that, that that information of yours is valuable, but it's also private. Um, so non-KYC coins are the best way of, uh, you know, having coins that you can sort of preserve your privacy such that people can't, uh, you know, uh, invade in, in that regard. So there's two real key ways of getting non-KYC. Um, you can get it through earning Bitcoin. I think that that's the best way of getting Bitcoin. You sell your labor, you sell your goods, you sell your services, and people will pay you in Bitcoin. That is not necessarily KYC'd. Um, the other way is through mining Bitcoin, which we discussed earlier. Um, it is a little bit out of reach, but it can be done for the individual. And this is where people can start to acquire Bitcoins from a non-KYC perspective. Um, so those are some of the reasons as to you know what KYC is. Uh, and you know what the
2: situation is um so from a, from a new person's perspective if you don't own any bitcoin at all and you're interested in having some and you think oh well maybe i should get some non-kyc bitcoin do you think that is something that a beginner should be thinking about at all um or do you think it is a better idea i mean this is opinion rather than um in fact obviously but um is it a better idea just to go with an ex- go to an exchange probably a Bitcoin-only exchange and buy them that way. What's your opinion on that? Why not both?
0: Um, So what you could do is you could say, okay, well, look, um, I'm finding it difficult to find non-KYC coins. Um, So I might start building a stack here because no Bitcoin is worse than having KYC Bitcoin, but ideally you want non-KYC. So Non KYC may take you time to build up and time and you know effort and work and reward. Um, whereas if you want that instant uh, investment, um, so to speak, then the best way, if you've got you know piles of cash um, just sitting around doing not a whole lot, then maybe you can park that into Bitcoin and, and use a KYC service. It really is up to you though. Um, you just have to think about what could eventuate. Um, When you give away your identity information, are they keeping it safe? Um, When you give away your identity information, what is being tracked and logged into the future, um, people will know that you have this amount of coin uh, and that could present a risk, maybe not today, but in 10, 15, 20, 30 years time, we're building a database of Bitcoiners. Is that a good thing? that's the question you need to ask yourself if you think that that is uh you know that that appetite is not there for you like then go non, non-kyc non but if you're thinking okay if, look i'm just you know it is what it is i just want to get on board and i want to jump in kyc
2: and um there may be people thinking um it's only people that are trying to do the wrong thing that are trying to hide their privacy, but just a very current example in the news, nothing to do with Bitcoin, was the Twitch leak. Yes, just within the last couple of days. So all these, all the top earners on Twitch, I think somebody's earning, no, I shouldn't be quoting it, I guess, but $9 uh, nine million, nine million dollars over a two-year period. Um, no, that's fine. Like people earn what they earn and they earn it makes no odds to me. But um is it is it reasonable that person has done nothing wrong? Is it reasonable that the rest of us no and I shouldn't be sharing it, I guess, um the, the rest of us know. Would you be comfortable with somebody knowing what you earned or what you paid for your house or, you know, what you, you know, how much money you gave your daughter for a pocket money or whatever it is. So you don't have to necessarily be doing the wrong thing to want non KYC. Yeah.
1: Good point. Or, or even just
0: supporting a, um, uh, a, a group or an organization that you think is doing good work. Indeed. Um, you know, like media outlets, alternative media outlets, you donate to them and you know, you like their content, but, you know, the mainstream narrative is a little bit different. Um, yeah. And so they flag that. It's nothing wrong. It's just do you really need that to be, you know, uh, broadcast out to the world?
1: So a KYC coins forever KYC'd. So if I actually bought them off, on off an exchange and then I decided to send some sats for the dinner that I skipped out on, is that still tracked? Uh, so what,
0: look, the way that it can work, um, is that that there is, when it comes to your KYC coins, um, there is a permanent record that is sitting there. Okay. Um, that you have bought these coins. So now, uh, a a body could ask you, uh, we see that you've bought these. What have you done with them? Where have they gone? Yeah. Where have they gone? Uh, what have they, where is it? Um, And you would have to either tell them the truth or it is up to you what you want to do with your relationship with your authorities. Uh, So in that sense, um, they have a starting point. Uh, So irrespective of, you know, you might rat your your mate out and say, hey, look, I gave it to this guy. And then, you know, then the story starts to unfold and you've now got a bit of a paper trail and a bit of evidence and they just keep digging. So if you don't want that, um, then maybe m- earning coins is the better way to go. Um, yeah. And even from then, um, what if you, that person that you've earned it from says, hey, you know, I- I've earned it. Um, and so, you know, now you're on the on the tra- tracking list. Yeah. Um, so this is where KYC becomes very, very, you know, it, it doesn't just impact um, the person that's been KYC'd, it kind of impacts everyone as well. Yeah. Uh, it's unfortunate that this is just the case. And what should be happening is anonymous systems. But unfortunately, we just haven't been able to, to do that yet. And I'm hoping that privacy in Bitcoin improves. But with KYC on-ramps and off-ramps, that is a big starting point mm-hmm. to really start degrading people's privacy Um I think the good, the,
1: the good point you made, though, is that um, any Bitcoin is better than no Bitcoin.
0: Well, that, that's right. So, like, I mean, if you're if you're looking at the world going, geez, they're printing a lot of money these days and my cash at bank is looking like it's not going to get me through to breakfast tomorrow morning, then, you, you know, you, you might want to preserve that and you want to preserve that today. Yeah. Uh, the best way of doing that is... Through non KYC, oh, sorry, through, through just getting it as best as you can, which may yeah. mean providing your identity information over. But yeah. you've got to really think about that. Like, you, you really have to make that choice, an informed choice, because when people start go, going into this, they go, all right, well, you know, I'm just going to buy it. That's it. You know, and just leave it and see, see what happens. That, that may be worthwhile. But then what happens in 10, 15, 20 years' time when you now want to spend it or use it or somehow utilize it? Uh, mm. Your
2: newfound wealth, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe we should just very briefly talk about boating accidents. That's a that's a term people <laughs> yeah, that's a good a one. term people might hear on might read on Twitter often if they go there. And what if it was yeah, a boating? A of, a, why do people talk about boating accidents? And then so, I want to
1: talk about wrench attacks.
2: <laughs> and wrench attacks.
0: Yeah, that's right. Okay, so boating attacks is basic. Oh, sorry, boating attacks. Um, <laughs> boating <New> accidents. <laughs> um, boating accidents is basically. Um, saying that you have lost your keys uh, to those coins and um, you don't know where they are. Um, and, well, I, I've lost them. Uh, I don't know if the government is probably going to uh, accept, or whoever, whichever authority comes to you and says, where are your coins? I don't know if they will actually accept that. If a lot of people have started to, you know, magically lost, lose their coins, they might just say, hey, look, we deem that as a disposal. What date did you roughly lose them? And here's yeah. your bill. Um, I, I don't know if that's the way that it's got like January, 2010. At- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, look, I mean, based on your KYC information and what yeah. possibly possibly they could do, they might say, all right, well, we're going to pick peak because pff, we don't like you. Mm. Um, so they, they can, you know, like in, in this world that we're currently in, it seems like you don't even have bodily autonomy. Uh, what think what makes you think that you might have financial autonomy when, when when things start to get a little bit hairier. So these are the things that you need to consider um, unfortunately.
2: Um, and your wrench attack you wanted to get, genuinely want to talk about the wrench attack?
1: Yeah yeah t- sure why not P- people. Oh, okay. put- yeah, five dollar wrench $5, attack. $5, is
2: that what it is? Attack,
1: yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So a five dollar wrench attack is essentially, um, uh, as, it, as it stands, is basically holding somebody hostage and saying, "I will beat you until you give me your points." Um, and so this is uh, something that Bitcoiners need to be cognizant of. The reason that they need to be cognizant of this is because we no longer live in the legacy system anymore. Mm. Um, The legacy system provides a reversal of digital transactions. Bitcoin does not provide a reversal of digital transactions. So what is now happening and it is becoming more and more prevalent is that people, Bitcoiners, known Bitcoiners are being um, attacked for their coins uh, physically. And so that's what a $5 wrench attack is, is basically just putting a gun to somebody's head or in this case, a $5 wrench. an easy attack and collecting the bitcoins from them and then running away because they've been confirmed. Done.
1: But that's probably a good segue too into um, actual uh, passphrases, storage, or how that actually works for people. So, if if someone's actually going to be approached and have their bitcoin, you know, well, stolen first let's have an
2: idea why probably privacy is important in the first place. Like, if nobody ever knows that you've got bitcoin at all, I mean, you know, we're all sitting here in a bitcoin podcast that's probably unhelpful but um yeah. but um but you know if somebody's sitting there and they don't ever yeah announce to the world do they have any bitcoin that's that's the first bit that's, of privacy you can that's, that's the best, the
0: best yeah. defense right and yes. this yeah. is this also comes into the non-kyc part of things right if you've got a database of known bitcoiners um that's a starting point for someone to come and have a look um, and that has happened particularly uh, before. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but Ledger, it's a hardware wallet manufacturer. They had a big leak of their entire customer database. Now, I'm not sure if anyone has actually been physically threatened because physical you know, addresses were leaked, um, but there have been SMS text messages, emails uh, of harassment and all sorts of, terrible things being thrown out um but also fake hardware wallets being shipped to those addresses saying hey you know uh we've we've noticed there was a breach uh you'll need to put your seed words into here to to recover them and it, it, it is bad and this is why we do not want a database of bitcoiners it's just so bad um it can it can really really you know uh Put you at a detriment and at your your safety. Um, It's not ideal. Uh, in In a legacy system, it's fine because we have uh, you know rollbacks and we have you know systems in place that can help prevent and detect. But in the Bitcoin world, we are moving into cowboy um, Mm -hmm. style situations. So you really want to be careful when it comes to these, and you need to make a conscious choice. The privacy is important because it can become a security risk later on. So to anyone out there who is um, thinking of, you know, showing their face and their identity, you really have to be sure um, that you, you you know, you you basically got to ask yourself, like if you're someone like me, for example, you've got to ask yourself, or or even if you're someone like Stefan, uh, you've got to ask yourself, is the juice worth the squeeze? Um, And so, that's when you do decide to come out and you want to, you know, showcase or educate or help people or whatever uh, you, you have to really sort of make that decision. Um, whereas, you know, yeah, it's it's, it's, it's all trade-offs and up to you really. Yeah.
1: Which is so storage. I, sorry. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Storage, I think is, is a great way to talk about the different types of storage and, and, and what's the best way to actually store
2: so let's we'll yeah. start. If, if I buy from an exchange yep. and, and keep that Bitcoin on the exchange, is that my Bitcoin?
0: No, that is not your Bitcoin. Um, that is an IOU. The mm. exchange owes you coins. They have your coins on your behalf. Um, and so that is not ideal. That is, in fact, you pretty much can say that you own no Bitcoin. Uh, only in, in, in name, really. Mm. Um, you don't actually physically have Full custody of those coins, the exchange does. And what you need to do is tell them, hey, could you please transfer these coins through to a Bitcoin address that you control using a Bitcoin wallet? Um, So that is the first mechanism of storage. It is called, usually, it's called a hot wallet. And a hot wallet is Um, something that is a a device like a mobile phone or a desktop computer that is permanently connected to the internet. That's why we call it HOT. Um, And basically, it's a wallet software that you can download on your phone or on your computer, and it will generate these addresses for you. Now, when you generate a Bitcoin wallet, it will give you a series of words. Never give those words out to anyone no matter who it is, even if they are posing as someone you think it is, they are asking you for your money, basically. Um, never give out your seed words. These are, these are words that there's usually 12 or 24 words um, that you are given at the start. Make sure you write them down, but not only write them down, put them onto a metal backup device. Uh, you can get them um on on various outlets uh but what i am suggesting to you is if you are ordering these things online do not use your home address to order um devices and 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 uh seed plates and those sorts of things in australia we have parcel lockers they are free from australia post make use of them um and so that pre- that preserves your privacy because you're giving away less information around where these coins could be stored. So that is um, the hot wallet.
2: Now, the, right, the, can, the, you the, can, can yeah. I interject there? Um, also, um, don't be taking a photograph of your of your words or storing them on the cloud anywhere. Yes, that's right. Um, yeah.
0: Don't yeah, don't be taking photos of them. Like this is you. You literally have one job. Uh, And that is to protect your seed. Mm. (laughs) Uh, It it is just- In more ways than one. That's right. In more ways than one, if you're a male. Um, So this is something that you want to consider um, when when doing your self-custody. The next part is to go to some sort of cold storage. Now, cold storage is a device, a specialized equipment. Uh, It's relatively cheap. And basically it- allows you to keep your Bitcoin keys, the private key that accesses or or enables you to spend the funds on an offline device that is not permanently connected to the internet. This is considered a more ideal setup. Now, what you want to do is make sure that you are getting it from a legitimate reseller. Don't get it from Amazon. Don't get Mm. it from Facebook Marketplace. Don't get it from Gumtree. These are not places where you acquire hardware wallets go to the official when vendor on their website. They may have resellers, or those sorts of things, and make sure you get them from those places. Don't get them from some random back alley. Um, so these are things that you probably want, or you could, if, if you're at a meetup, potentially there might be a representative of one of those stores there, you can buy it in person with cash and that leaves no paper trail whatsoever. That's probably the best way. Now. When things open up again, you might be able to attend these Bitcoin meetups and say hello to people and meet with like-minded people. And this is where conversations start to happen. So I would strongly suggest that we that you attend one of those. And I know I'm getting a bit sidetracked, but yes. back to cold storage. So... Now, your cold storage device um, is something, again, that will generate you a, uh, a seed. You will be able to get a, a wallet off that and give your addresses to whoever you need or your public address to whoever want you want to pay you, and you'll be able to see those funds hit your account. Um, yeah, that's pretty much what it comes down to when so, it comes to storage.
1: So um, one thing early on with my understanding of cold storage was that I thought what I'd be doing was actually transferring Bitcoin to cold storage, but it's not that, is it? You're actually signing the transactions with the device. Yes. 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 Yes, you are. So Bitcoin does not
0: live on the device. Okay. Bitcoin actually is on the network. um, But what that device has is what's known as a private key. And that private key allows you to unlock that uh, that coin and allows you to spend it to somebody else or to another address. Without that private key, you have absolutely zero chance of ever spending those coins. They are either lost or someone else has taken ownership of them. And they take ownership of them by collecting those or, or ha- getting those words in that order. Um, So when you first generate that device, it will give you a series of words. Be sure to write them down in that order, pay complete, total attention. This is what you need to protect. Um, And so, yeah, they don't actually live on there. It's that, it's the, it's that big private key that lives on that device. And that just allows you to unlock it and spend it. Yeah.
2: So um, uh, practically, if you were to lose the device, you were to buy a cold storage device um, Mm -hmm. and you wrote down your key successfully um, and you you kept it well and you then somehow lost your device, you could still access your Bitcoin through a new device just using the key that you had. 100%.
0: 100%. Um, will, when, when you go into a brand new wallet, it will ask you, hey, what would you like to do? Would you like to create a new wallet? Or would you like to restore an existing wallet? You're going to go down the path of restore an existing wallet and you will then need to input those well, you know, words back into the device. Do not ever put them onto a computer. Um, don't type them on there. If you've got a cold
2: storage device, buy another one and put it back onto that cold storage device. So, uh, and again, just as a, as a practical level, um, it, it makes sense. You, you don't have to take all of your Bitcoin that you, if you went to uh, an exchange and you bought, you know, $10,000 worth of Bitcoin, you transfer, and you wanted to move that to cold storage, you don't have to do that in one movement. You can ch- test it first. And then oh, potentially, t- as long as you got the keys, you know, try a new device. Restore that wallet. Restore that wallet with a new on a new device, and just see that you've got it before you move. Before and fully understand it before you move anything. Your big your big amount across. That's right. So
0: I, I like to tell people, hey, start off with just protecting, you know, two hundred dollars or something, something that you you're okay with losing. Yep. Um. So you might say, okay, well, I'm going to transfer two hundred dollars cross first in that first address, and we're going to maybe wipe the device and see if we can restore it back, and and then we will we will start to spend some coins. It's it's important. It's just as important to learn how to receive as it is to learn how to spend. Do not just sit there thinking, oh, I've, I've received and that's it. I'm done. You really need to learn how to spend those coins. So what you could do is a self-spend or you could send it to your best mate. Uh, you could send, you know, 20 bucks to him, 20 bucks to someone else, just get a feel for how the process works of how your wallet works and how it interacts. And then maybe do another test transaction. So this time you might want to put more skin in the game and say, all right, well now I'm going to put a thousand bucks on. And then once you're happy with that, then put on your, you know, thousand dollars, but you do don't leave it to too late. I think, you know, you want to be getting familiar with it and in a short amount of time, because We don't know when these exchanges could go up in flames. We don't know what they're doing behind the scenes. So you really, it's not, I mean, I would suggest that you get your coins off the exchange with some level of urgency, but if you've, you know, like, but you need to really be comfortable first before you can do anything with urgency. So get a handle of your wallet and see how it works, see how it performs, see what some of the, you know, read through the documentation and then start to really, um, you know, self-custody the, the rest of it.
2: And it's, it's an empowering feeling, um, restoring a wallet that appears to be gone, right?
0: Yeah, look, it, it is a huge sigh of relief to some people. Um, it's also, you know, a, a time of uh, great, uh, I guess, nervousness. But what you really want to do is just, be in a position where you're no longer nervous anymore. Yes, Bitcoin transactions are irreversible. Yes, uh, money can get lost here. And it has happened in the past. Um, You know, like the the feeling of almost shitting yourself is not going to go away. I feel it sometimes too, but you just have to be more confident in your procedures and what you've learned and making sure that you are rehearsing and practicing. I would strongly suggest at least once a quarter have a look through your setup and make sure you're, you're you've just familiarized yourself and just sort of, you know, gone through the cycles and the motions of, of doing a transaction, making sure that it's all there. Once a quarter is probably uh, a good sweet spot.
1: That's one thing i found actually with, um, <clears throat> so i got a, a cold card and um sort of played around with that a little bit. And I thought, yeah you know, I I, I kind of signed this and I'm like, yeah, how good is this? Awesome. And then, then I put it away and I'm like, I'm well overdue to actually have bring that out again and have a play. I, I, I guarantee you, you will have forgotten, and yeah. you'll be like, ah, "Oh, totally. What did I do?" And I'm at a stage with like opening lightning channels where I was like writing. I was sitting down for a full day, just sort of doing this, and I think I got somewhere, but then I didn't. And now it's like I'm resetting, and I, I'll I'll be learning all over again. So.
0: Look, I think the other thing that you might want to consider is keeping notes of what you've done. Um, just as a log, okay, this is what I did. This yeah. is what a tool I used. This is how I did this. This is the things that I clicked. Just so you have that as a reference point because come six months later or a year later or whenever you start to panic saying, oh, I've just 10x here, um, yeah. you, you might just sort of go, uh, let's see if it's still there. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. That's
1: right.
2: Yeah so that's what you're describing that what you've been yep. what you've been describing is um a single signature cold storage wallet so what is a multi signature cold storage wallet
0: a multi signature yeah a multi signature wallet it is a uh, it, it is basically requiring certain conditions to be met typically, um, but before you spend your coins. So typically you might, um, the common quorum that they call it is a two of three or a three of five multi-signature wallet. And what that means is that you require two out of three signatures to, uh, to make a Bitcoin spend and you can geographically Disperse those keys into various um, locations, and that way there is no single point of failure. And you can do this with a three of five as well. Uh, those are the two common ones, but you know th- those numbers are just you know arbitrary. You can do more, you can do less. It, it just really depends. But the common ones is three of uh, two of three and three of five. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are services out there that are uh, are, are available to Bitcoiners. Who want help with this this is called guided multi-signature um there's two companies that really offer that but understand that there is also a privacy um concern with those services as well because you are building a database of who who owns transactions or, or who owns bitcoin so that's just something to be mindful of there's the diy route um, of, of multi-signature look at this point in time i think Multi-signature is a worthwhile uh, exercise for those who are a little bit more advanced down the the self-custody route. I would not be recommending starting off doing DIY multi-sig. But uh, as you move and as you learn and as you move up that chain and you get more confident and you get well-rehearsed and you understand what's going on, multi-signature can be a fantastic tool to protect yourself from these $5 wrench attacks. Um, But also, uh, if you also want just from a single signature perspective, you can also use what's known as a passphrase. Now, you mentioned that a little bit earlier. A passphrase allows you to basically uh, create a brand new wallet using a 25th word or a 13th word, a word that you have nominated. And so, without that though, Uh, your Bitcoins will be lost forever. So you must remember the passphrase. It is absolutely essential. So when you're first starting, maybe just don't do any passphrases. And then when you're getting more comfortable, start one with a passphrase. And then look into multi-signature wallets as well. Um, so that's the journey of self custody. As you know, it starts to go. You start off with a mobile phone. Then you might do a desktop wallet. Then you might do a cold storage device like a hardware wallet. Then you'll add a passphrase to that. Then you'll go into multi sig. Um, and so that's you know the the the, the natural progression of self custody.
2: Yeah, it's absolutely um, fine for people to make that progression and at their own pace. In fact it's it's probably preferable. Um you would rather somebody, you know, as you said before, have some bitcoin run the no bitcoin and then work their way through the security of it. And you know as, as as the value goes up so should you, so should your content, so should your uh, focus on your security.
0: Uh, and I think that that's going to come naturally, right? Once you see those numbers uh, it it just you start to go, oh I you know, you, you have more skin in the game and when you've got financial incentive to look at things you will pay more attention to it. And I can guarantee you, like you might have something that's $10,000 today and that's quickly turns into 50 or $60,000. And you might think to yourself, oh, that's enough for me to go, hmm, let's you know look into that a little bit more. And that's when you start, sort of start reading more and you learn more. But it is really important to go at your own pace. When you've got self-custody done in the first instance, that's when you can sort of start to go, okay, look, I can start to, you know, um, read more, understand more, get a bit of an idea of what's going on, play around with software. But if your coin's still on the exchange, I think that's when you probably need to go down the path of a steep learning curve to get yourself up to speed. Um, that's probably the better way of doing things.
2: Yeah. Um, where do you want to go with that? We've got the last.
1: Oh, I think we're,
2: we're How much Do you want to go we, we sort of t- touched earlier on on the difficulty adjustment we're going backwards a little bit um well let's let's just ex- can we just expand that slightly and just go back on the difficulty adjustment
0: yeah okay so the difficulty adjustment what happens is when we um back to the mining sort of uh yeah. i guess uh analogy of this guessing game or this lottery that's going on mm-hmm. um What happens is there will be these miners who put this specialized equipment and then they'll bring that online um, to start guessing. And this is basically the the whole crux of proof of work. Um, Now, we've got this, I guess, uh, uh, this hashing power that comes all guessing power, basically. Um, And What this this does is as more people get on on, online uh, and more miners come online and more guessing power is added to this network, you'll find that the blocks start to come very, very quickly and they don't follow the 10-minute intervals. They'll come bloody every two minutes or three minutes or five minutes. And what that is doing is introducing inflation, unnecessary inflation, into what was, you know, Short out to be in 2140. But because we've got so much power, people are just being able to guess this game very, very quickly. And so bang, new block comes out. Bang, new coins. Bang, new block, more new coins. And then you get this inflation um, that's happening very quickly. So what our great inventor, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, has done in this is what's known as a difficulty adjustment. And so every two weeks or 2016 blocks, um, what will happen is it will take a look at the hashing power and it will adjust such that if it is too high, it will adjust to a more difficult level such that those 10 minute blocks are now coming out at a nice 10 minute interval same thing if hashing power drops if if these guesses if these miners decide you know what we're switching off our miners oh man it's going to be real chaos for the next 2 weeks because all these transactions will be banked up and no one will be able to find the solution and mint the new coins so what will end up happening is at that Two thousand um, and sixteenth block. It'll go. Uh, let's 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 make this game a little bit more fairer. Um, and that's what the difficulty adjustment is. It just basically makes the game fairer um, based upon how many who's guessing what and how many guesses are happening.
1: It's amazing. That, that's isn't it? one of the most astounding features. I think, uh, uh, it, uh, it, like the, the, the foresight? foresight. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> under- the foresight it, to do that it's, is it's amazing. It is.
0: It is insane. It is actually <laughs> one of the most insane. Uh, pieces
1: of uh, I think it's art it's art
2: it's art how how, how
1: do you come up with that I mean in 2009 oh
2: personally I should say for MD listening you don't have to understand the difficulty adjustment that's just a more of a technical end of things but if anybody is genuinely interested in looking at beautiful art
1: yeah read read about
2: the difficulty adjustment work out what it is and go and then just sit back and go home yeah it, it is it is
0: if you want to find out more about proof of work um and uh, the difficulty adjustment there's a really really good book by jan pritzker it's called inventing bitcoin it is a very short read it's about 100 pages or something like that 130 pages it goes through the whole lottery system and how it works and how proof of work works and all that sort of stuff It Explains it way better than I can. I can't even explain it myself, but it is just an amazing piece of technology. Um, and this is what you know it's just it's it is absolutely fascinating, um, to see this sort of stuff being invented in 2008,
2: 2009. It's just incredible. We'll put a link in the notes to Jan's book because it's yeah, Yeah, it's just an incredible, yeah, it's incredible, incredible
1: thing. Um, I don't know, I think we're pretty,
2: yeah, I think we could probably pull up and we could maybe there's an opportunity to go more to go more complicated at a later date but um, unless there's anything you you would like to add i mean and also i'd like you to give a a quick shell for your own projects if that's if you don't mind doing that
0: yeah look thanks for having me on guys i appreciate it um i yeah if you need consulting um if you want more further in-depth guidance one-on-one guidance on how to do your cold storage, or run your own Bitcoin node, or verify your transactions, use software, those sorts of things. I'm available uh, for one-on-one consulting sessions. Um, you, you just have to go to ministryofnodes.com.au, hit the support, um, the the consulting button and there's a there's a calendar you can book me in um, and i'll be there and i'll be able to assist you with all of your bitcoin related matters i've also got youtube so ministry uh, youtube.com ministry of nodes you will find all of the free material that i've got um, it takes you through bitcoin wallets we've got you know bitcoin node setups all those sorts of things um, so feel free to have a have a watch of those and if you still need any help um, give us a shout and i'm happy to help
1: Awesome! I can actually attest to your YouTube videos too. So I followed your MyNode instructions to the T, and so I've got, the, I've got the flirt case. I've got the oh, nice. to sh- uh, Samsung or whatever it was. Uh, the hard drive. Yep, everything.
0: Yep. 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 Yeah. So yep. very good,
1: man. I'm, I'm okay, forever grateful. Forever just... grateful. That's it. <laughs>
2: um, and if you, yes, absolutely. If people need 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 feel that they need more. One to one help, hit you up and and yep. go go look at some some uh, c- some consulting there. Um, or potentially you're going to be at the bush bash. Is that? Yes, hope, I hope will to be, be there
0: at the. Yes, definitely. Um, I will be at the bush bash. It's on the. Uh, 4th and 5th of December uh, in Mururundi. Um If you guys want to attend, uh, you can sit, hit me up there. I'm doing a presentation on uh, building your digital fortress, which uh, is basically around uh, how we can make sure that we are keeping our data safe and a bit more private from the prying eyes of big tech companies like uh, Facebook, Google, amazon um microsoft all that sort of stuff so uh yeah if you'd like to come along um for that presentation and m- plenty more bitcoin discussions uh then come along to the bush bash it's a it's a really good weekend away it's like yeah, yeah. i
2: have to get yeah absolutely we, we managed the l- last november whenever it was i think yeah it was excellent and it was. it's just it's just it's quite informal um there's there's a few people who will stand up and give a presentation um but you know you can go to whatever you want you want to stand at the bar and just talk to a bitcoiner you can do that also um and yeah it's nice to be in a space where people are just sharing ideas it's... happy to talk about bitcoin yeah happy to talk about bitcoin as much as us, as we are and we'll be that's there right. we'll be there yeah, we'll, uh, we will in be december there as well. well so that's two, ex- so that's exciting um hopefully well we really look forward to seeing you there yeah Gitan, thank you very much um really appreciate that and um, i hope that's very useful to people out there
1: yep awesome Cheers, Thanks, guys mate. Cheers. Thanks.